0: salvation, Lord. (laughs) You know, phileo is actually the Greek word for brotherly love, but that's not the real love. (laughs) Agape is the real love. So it's, it's, uh, I love it when men get together. Um, Our first prayer request, every time we get together, I always say, when men get together, first prayer request should be, what is going on with our credit card right now? While our wives are away, amen? Uh, I always make sure, nah, I'm just kidding. Let's have some fun. Let me pray. Father, not to us, but to your name be the glory, because of your love and your faithfulness. And you thought it would be a good idea before the foundation of the world that we would be here tonight, so we are. Sanctify us, Lord, in your truth, for your word is the truth. Somehow, some way use this mess named Jack to draw men to yourself. Father, we are but a vapor. And yet a room full of vapors. Is crying out for purpose, for meaning, Lord. Why are we here? What do you have us to do? And Lord, we um, we ask the, the prayer of the old Puritan. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. We ask, Lord, that you might make um, all things, um, all things clear, abundant. And that we might truly know what it means to know you. And I um, just pray, Lord, uh, thank you so much for what you're doing in and through this group. And we pray in the only name worth praying in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, have a seat, have a seat, have a seat. Uh, well, I want to tell a couple of fun stories to start. Can we do that? Can we have fun? I, I I love coming here, man. What a blessing you guys are, man, when we get a chance to... Be here. I I, I told him uh, both of them when we were here earlier. I said when I just when I come in this parking lot and I I feel the gospel, the Holy Spirit in this place. I do. I'm just being honest with you. Um, you be you. I'll be real. Amen. Okay. <laughs> and I do. I just feel God's presence here. I think that you're trying. You know. Um, I think you're trying to do your best, Pastor. I think you're trying to do your best, and God honors our best. You know. I pray you get to heaven. And you're out of breath. You know, when you get to heaven and you cross over (gasps) and you finish and you couldn't go a day further and God picks you up and says, good job. Well done. Good and faithful servant. I pray that for you. I pray that for you because that's um, the world we live in is tough, man. And um, um, I, I tell our guys a lot of times, if your output exceeds your input, then your upkeep is your downfall. If your output exceeds your input, then your upkeep is your downfall. And so, as a pastor, I know many times um, your light is on E, and yet you're putting 87 in other people's tanks, or 93 in your case, because you do it right. And uh, I'm thankful for that. I'll give you a couple of fun stories here. Um, uh, any Jets fans in the house? Okay, uh, I'm just kidding. I mean, forgive me, I'm a preacher. I like to know where the enemy is, amen? I mean, I just like to know. I mean, I just want to know. I mean, so, yeah, let's, let a couple fun stories here. Um, first story, I, I've told this before, not here, but I've told it before, and I think it's a, a, a good segue for uh, tonight and, and just the opportunity to, to know the Lord better and hopefully to walk through some things that I think he would have for us. Um, I, I had the privilege, um, what is it, four years ago now. Um, our scouting department was slammed busy. We had all these people running around, running errands. And so I was new um, uh, on the job at the time. I wasn't brand new, but I was new at my desk where I was. And so uh, our scouting department had gotten really busy. And so um, we had a rash of workouts, a bunch of people coming in to work out for the team. And so they had divided up different people that would pick up different players. So they came to me and said, hey, Jack, we, we're running out of people. Would you mind going grab... Um, one of our one of the, these guys that's going to work out, and so normally when you have workout guys, you, you, you know that the math's against them. So you, you know you try to build relationship, but you understand they're up against a big number here to try to make the team. It's probable it's not going to happen. So we I pull into Providence actually airport and uh, picking up a young man and um, look at this uh, this name that's on my phone and it says you're going to pick up a young man named Malcolm Butler. So I, I pull in this this airport, and he gets in the car, and naturally, um, like men do, we related uh, on food. Amen? That was the first thing we did. I mean, we talked about food. I mean, well, what else do you talk about to break the ice, you know? He had recently just quit a job, and, and most people know this now because the story's gotten so big. He had recently quit a job at Popeye's Chicken and Biscuits to work out and then train for the National Football League. So... We probably made it from Providence to Paul Tuckett just debating whose biscuits are the best biscuits. I mean, we went went Popeyes, we went churches, we went through every different kind of biscuit you could possibly imagine. I think we just ended with a tie. But now that you guys have Chick-fil-A up here, boy, isn't the Lord good? Amen. I mean, I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you. I'm saying. Anyway. uh, So Malcolm and I are, uh, you know, riding back and talking about anything from the South to things in football to his life to his story from West Alabama and all these things he's going through. And we pull up to the stadium and obviously he had never played in a stadium like this before. And you could see in his face he began to get a little nervous. It's like, okay, we're here like this is it like I'm going to go work out and we'll see how this goes. And he looked at me and by that time I had shared with him what I do and hey, I'm the, I'm the preacher guy and, you know, kind of talk to all this stuff. And he said, hey, w- hey, will you pray for me? I said, absolutely, let's pray. So we close our eyes and we're sitting in the parking lot. He's getting ready to go in for his workout. I put my hand on his shoulder and I prayed and he said, thank you, man, I'm going to need that. He goes out and does his workout, and uh, I wasn't actually at the workout, but my guess is it was pretty good. (laughs) I mean, I don't don't know. I mean, I know the goal of football is to have more points than the other team. But anyway, so this goes well, and so he calls me that night, and he says, hey, man, your prayer worked. I said, well, well, Malcolm, I said, God didn't really work like that. Like, God's not Aladdin, you know what I mean, like a genie. I said, God's actually way bigger than that. He's actually consumed with how much he loves you and he's preoccupied with you. And he loves you so much. It's way bigger than the game of football. I said, he said, hey, can you come over and pray for me again tonight? I said, hey, brother, I'll be more than glad to come over and pray for you. I said, but if it did work like that, I'd be asking the Lord for lottery numbers. Amen. <laughs> Just kidding. That's funny, but it's not funny. Anyway, so. I, uh, I went over to the residence inn where we we're staying. I walked in, we talked and prayed again and um, gave him a big hug and, and uh, left that night. And We hit a relationship off him, so I would text him verses and we'd talk about all this kind of stuff. So fast forward, obviously, to this play against Seattle. You know, we're on the goal line, and they scream out last minute to run for him to go in the game, and so he goes in, and we're kind of in a weird look. Um, don't want to get in a lot of football here because that's not why I'm here, but the point is we're in a weird look, and so they're, um, they're, they're in this spread formation, and you've seen the play, so you know, and basically, uh, he jumps his play, and he intercepts the ball. You guys know the history. So he comes over on the sideline, and of course, everybody's going nuts, right? and Confetti's falling and he's crying. I mean, he's like grown man like tears crying like snot going everywhere. <laughs> I Mean anybody ever had a good like lately just a really good grown man cry I mean we we like to have grown men like in moments in ones and stuff like that where we're like Yeah, and we like grunt and act foolish, but like grown man cries are good, too so anyway, so he's grown man crying And uh, he comes over to me and he says, do you remember the residence in prayer? And I said, yeah, I do. He said, do you remember when we prayed in the parking lot? I said, yeah, I do. He goes, God is awesome. I thought to myself, I said, wow. I said, yeah. Independent of Super Bowls or independent of anything that's ever happened in football, I said, God is awesome. And then... Over the next 24 hours, he went to Disney World, came back, went to Jimmy Kimmel, came back, went to all these different people, and everybody was putting out T-shirts, the butler did it, the butler did it. Everybody was making these great stuff, and it was awesome, right? Great. We won championship, parade, the whole deal. I want to get to to the punchline here and set our stage for tonight. And everybody was wearing t-shirts that said Malcolm. Everybody was saying the name Malcolm. But I thought to myself, they don't know Malcolm. I said, I thought, is it possible that the whole world would know somebody's name? Would shout someone's name? Would wear a t-shirt with someone's name? would get in a parade and shout out loud, Malcolm, Malcolm, and wave? Is it possible that the world would know someone's name but not know them personally? And in my, in my living room of my house, I'll never forget it, I told my wife, I said, knowing the person personally is way better than wearing a t-shirt. And that's not, let me, let, let me set the stage for us here tonight. That's not a celebrity, non-celebrity comment. I want you to understand that what God is preoccupied with is that we would not just know his name. That we would not just wear a t-shirt with his name on it, or wristband, or maybe we'd be his fan. But that we would know him personally. So when people speak of him, speak about him, say things he said or quote him or co-sign him or communicate about him, we would know whether it's real and authentic and about him or not because we know him personally. And since we know him, we can be ambassadors for him. And when we know him personally, we can now quantify qualify those who walk with him and know him because we've walked with him and we know him. So I want to set the stage for us tonight on men who know him, men, men who walk with him. And, and for us as men in here, I love men's nights, for us to separate those who just have maybe worn a t-shirt and for us to be the ones that really know him personally. That's my challenge. That's my heart's cry for us tonight. We're going to talk about something very real tonight. It's been on my heart. I've been wrestling with this passage uh, for a while trying to think about tonight as, as I talk to you from a very real, broken perspective to share something that's deeply on my heart tonight. And hopefully it'll bless you. But I don't want us to hear on TV about a name that we don't know. It means a lot to me. So I'm going to ask from my heart to yours tonight that we consider, do we really know who Jesus is? Do you really know him? Do you really know him? Second story, and then we'll start. Last year, we were on training camp. And training camp is uh, hot. It's long. It's not that hot up here, really, though. I mean, I'm from South Carolina. So, like, you know, there's days where they, like, blow a horn in South Carolina training camp, like, off the field. Everybody, you will melt. Like, (laughs) the the, uh, the thermometer says, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. Like, literally, it's, like, too hot, you know, like, stop. You know, so they have a horn that you, like, everybody's get off the field. But... It's hot. It's long, and we were three weeks into training camp last year, uh, practicing, open practice. Thousands of people are there. It's a great deal. We had practicing as the Jaguars. We had played a couple of preseason games, and it was a third third week of preseason. And we <laughs> we were working on this one route offensively, where we essentially ran Gronk on this route, and it was a it was kind of like a flare route. But it was a different route that he had run before on because of the way the ball was released from the other hash mark. And so we were talking about it in the staff meeting. Bill's thinking about all these crazy things because his elevator goes way to a place I can't even see. Amen, right? Anybody here ever thought I have elevator issues?
1: That's me, okay?
0: I get in these meetings and I'm like, I'm trying to email where they are way up there. But anyway, so he says this, and, and this, is, this is the premise of, of, of my heart tonight. He goes to the groundskeeper, and he says, hey, we need to change the lines on the field to the, go the opposite direction for something we're doing in practice. And I'm like, well, well, the lines are all the same no matter which way they go. I mean, we're going to be all right, right? And the guy's like, well, man, practice is tomorrow. It's already like 6 o'clock at night. we got to go out there and redo the lines. And he's like, yeah, tell me we're going to do the lines the other way. He's like, I'm the coach. You're the, you're the grounds guy. <laughs> Thanks for coming out a bad matchup for you right now. (laughs) You're going to do it the other way. So anyway, so this guy goes out there and changes the lines around and we changed training camp around the whole that next day, the whole facility rotated. And what he was doing was he was getting used to Tom throwing on one side of the field across the field at an angle. And this one route that Gronk was running where he would plant his foot and turn and look back. And when he turned and looked back, the sun would come down at a certain angle and he was getting used to to Gronk looking back. So he wanted the angle of the field, the exact angle of our game field, so that when he planted and looked back and saw the sun, he would get used to looking in the sun and then bouncing off the sun and finding the ball. So we run this play in practice, boom, he drops it, and he's like, oh man, you know, so looks back in the sun. Next play, boom, catches it, looks at the sun, bounces his eyes off the sun, catches the ball, do it. So week three of the regular season, four, can't remember, we're playing at home. And it's the exact same time of day that practice was. And Josh calls this play. And here goes Gronk, plants, looks back. And you see the safety who's garden. see the ball, and he makes a great break. And I'm thinking, man, this is going to be a pick right here. Appreciate you coming out. This is going to be a pick. Like, go the other way. Like, this is going to be. And you see the safety's eyes go up into the sun. And then you see both of the safety's hands come over his face. And then you see Gronk follow the ball right into his hands, and then you see it go for 64 yards. The only reason I remember that play is because I remember the exact angle and where I was standing. And I thought to myself, is it possible that God would set a play up for us that would allow us to fail or go through a trial Or go through pain. Go through a challenging circumstance of blindness in the sun. Go through a challenging circumstance of a difficult marriage. Go through a challenging circumstance of addiction. Go through a challenging circumstance of losing your job. So that the next time, when you look in the sun, and you get the news that you lose your job, and you're in a discussion with your wife late at night. You're able to look through the chaos and catch the ball and get upfield. And I thought to myself, if it's possible for an earthly coach to design a play, to challenge us to look through the sunlight. Then it would also be possible for our heavenly coach to design things for men, specifically for men. That challenge us and make us uncomfortable. That have us looking into bright light that makes us feel that we're confused. That gets us disillusioned from time to time. That gets us frustrated and downtrodden and asking questions and beating our chest saying, God, are you there? And I don't know about you. But there's things that we go through in life. And I'm chief right here. Pain. That we look back and we get disillusioned and the ball's coming hot and we know it's coming. Don't always catch it. But there's circumstances and situations that God puts in our life to challenge us so that when we get in the game field, we'll catch it and get up field. So here's what I want to talk about tonight amongst the men of this church. Because I believe great churches have great men. Not great because we're great, but great because we're greatly dependent on the one who is great. So, so I'm talking to you tonight to give you an advanced lesson of what you need to tell your kids and your families, of what you need to marinate on yourself when you get real with God and it's just you and him playing one-on-one. I'm going to talk to you straight tonight. I'm going to talk to you real tonight because I don't want you just to wear the t-shirt. I want you to know it. And I want you, when you look back into the sun and pain comes on you, or things come on your life that you feel are difficult and challenging, I want you to bounce your eyes off of the trouble, and I want you to catch the ball, and I want you to get up field. So tonight is a little bit of training camp, if you will. Okay, Tonight is a scripture that is not warm and fuzzy. Tonight is a message from my heart to yours of things that God is showing me to show you, because that's what the the man of God is called to do. And so here's what I'm going to do tonight. I'm just going to get real with you. And hopefully this passage will show us what pain, what challenges, what weaknesses will do for your life to help you become who God's calling you to be. That's it. That's where we're headed tonight. Let's have some fun. Let's have some fun. Okay? If you've got your Bible, 2 Corinthians. Bible or phone, 2 Corinthians 12. I'm going to read some verses. I'm going to focus on uh, just a few things that I think the Lord wants us to learn from Second Corinthians 12. I'll read 1 through probably 10. And then I'll focus on a few verses here that I think the Lord would have. us. So this is Paul, the Apostle Paul, writing here. Um, he's got a passion for this church in Corinth they will talk more about it in a second. But he's, he's got a passion for these people, and he's writing a letter to them so that they can receive and understand the lessons and the testimony that he has for their lives, the things that he needs uh, for them to understand. And these are the same lessons that we need to learn and understand as men, 2,000 and some change after this is written. So I pray that you'll receive this the way the Lord gave it to me because this is real, this is awesome, and this is authentic. Okay? Here's Paul writing to the people in Corinth. 2 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 1. He says, I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on with visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up in the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. But God knows. And I know this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. But God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which a man may not utter. And on behalf of this man I will boast, but on my own behalf I will not boast, except in my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would, I would be a fool. For I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of them than he sees or he hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh. A messenger of Satan to harass me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ then I am content with weaknesses. Listen to me men. Insults, hardships, persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak. Then I am strong. Amen. I'm going to set the stage for this. We, we, we serve in a consumer driven society. So it is Natural for leaders of movements and praise god your pastor does not do this it is natural for leaders of movements to alter the message to the consumer it's not what paul's doing here what paul is doing is he's beginning from a position of grace to assess the mentality of the true christ-like servant He's going to assess the mentality of a man who really wants to do what God wants him to do. And what does it look like when that man has pain? Pain is real, man. Pain is real. And we tend to evaluate our lives from where we are currently to our desired destination. We tend to evaluate our lives currently from where we are to our desired destination, do we not? And so pain becomes a problem. Because pain is perceivably a resistor or an inhibitor of the ability for us to get from where we are to our desired destination. And so we see pain as a problem. We see pain as as chains that are on our shoulders. We see pain as weight that is on our back. We see pain as something that's holding us down from running the race the way we think God would have us to run it. And what's happened across America is that pastors have stepped to pulpits and said, God doesn't want you to have pain. Pastors have stepped to pulpits and said, God doesn't want you to hurt. Pastors have stepped to pulpits and said that pain is on this side and God is on this side. And so we've naturally become men, if I will. Men. Who desire to run from pain. And desire not to understand what pain can really do for us. But let me introduce you to a man who's a manly man, can I? Paul, beaten 40 lashes minus one five times. Don't think there's anything sissy about that. Naked in the streets. Brought before councils. Gossiped about. Talked about all over the city as a matter of fact in this very city corinth his name was all over the place We know from history that uh, After paul left corinth the first time check this out after paul left corinth the first time Right before he left he was called up in front of some elders some people in the town They were the false teachers were saying hey this guy really isn't who he says he is This guy's, you know, basically they were saying he's full of crap. Well, who is this guy? And so Paul stands up because at this point he's got a following and he's made a difference in a lot of people. And he stands up in front of this this mock council, these these false teachers who have uh, said that they want to run his name down. Okay, so Paul stands up. And when he stands up, he says, who will speak on my behalf? And no one. No one stands up on Paul's behalf. So after sharing the gospel with people in Corinth, he walks out of Corinth on his first trip brokenhearted because his very friends who said they were with him, they hid when it was time. So Paul writes back a second letter. And in the second letter, he begins to show them and explain to them the afflictions of pain and the understanding of pain And what pain really is, is that pain is is not something that we should run from. And it's not something that's separate from our walks with the Lord. It's not separate from this faith in Christ. It's actually something that unifies us with Christ. It's actually something that shows us who Christ is. As a matter of fact, I laughed with somebody yesterday. The cross is the most bought piece of jewelry in American history. And all it is, is God showing you, I feel your pain. So if God, in all of his mastery, would say that pain is a part of this culture, pain is a part of this life, and and pain is a part of my plan for you, because nothing happens outside the will will of God, there's no oopsie, God is not on his chair going, man, I hope it works out down there in Seacom. God is intimately intimate on every detail He's intimately accurate. His his plans are perfect. There was no change. There's no eraser on God's pencil. So if pain was a part of the plan, then what is God doing through pain? And let's get real because there are people in this audience, in an audience this size, that are going through pain walking in this door. You walk through this door with pain. You went to bed last night with pain, physical pain, mental pain, spiritual pain, emotional pain. You have pain that you don't want to talk about, pain that you talk about all the time, pain that you're preoccupied with, pain that you're trying to delay. And I have it too. And I'm not going to be a short sighted preacher and stand up here and tell you that pain is not about what, not a part of what God has for you. God has pain in our lives to unify us with the gospel and unify us with Christ and sanctify us and make us more like him and less like less like ourselves to 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 sanctify us and make us into someone who he has us to be that we are not currently. My my wife and I tell each other all the time, God is preparing you for what he has prepared for you. God is preparing you for what he has prepared for you. And part of that is pain. Paul picks up his, his pen and he writes back to these people who've turned their backs on him. In the Las Vegas of the ancient world. It was very frequent to see a priest in the Corinthian era. At the top of the hill with an orgy beneath him. This is a godless town. A place of ancient history which should completely turn their back on, on God at all. And Paul comes in and makes a difference. And everyone knows that it's real. And they know that it's God. And then when Paul leaves, they go, ha, see you later, buddy. We're back to our old ways. And Paul says, well, maybe prosperity isn't how you'll listen. So maybe I'll minister to you. Remind you of who God is. Through telling you about pain. So he picks up his pen and he writes this. I want to look at what he says and I want to relate it to us. And I just want to be real. That's what I want to do tonight. Let's look at this. Let's skip down to verse 7. Paul's going to talk about a thorn in the flesh. This, this stake. The, the actual Greek word is, is a stake. A stake. Why would God allow us to have pain? Why would he allow us to have it? Let's look at what Paul says. Why, what are the intentions? What are the intentions of pain and challenges in our lives? Number one, look at verse 7. So to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me. Paul introduces the concept of a thorn being given to him as an as a umbrella or as an as a entry point For him to be able to say, so to keep me from becoming conceited. The the first thing that pain does for you is it humbles you. you, you, Let's let's get real. Do you understand that the chief of every sin, the, the cornerstone of every sin is pride? Do you understand that the cornerstone of Judas's sin is pride. The cornerstone of Adam and Eve's sin is pride. The cornerstone of any sin that you've ever committed is pride. So do you understand that the pain that Paul introduces here first, he's saying, so to keep me from becoming conceited, God has given me this. And and here's what I would say to you. Humility is a lost art in American manhood. Because we have equated a beating chest and Twitter followers with success in the kingdom of God. Listen to me, men. There is no greater gift you can give our culture than to be humble. Because the Bible says that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The first thing Paul says, and the reasoning behind pain being in your life, is he says, I want to keep you from becoming conceited. How many of you have people in your life that intentionally tell you things to keep you from becoming conceited? That's not something we naturally do. I have one player. uh, His name is Matthew Slater. One of my best friends in the world. And because every year we, we do a theme, right? And the themes are just straight from God, okay? Last year our theme was authentic. And we... We talked about be the real deal. So every, every week we had scripture and it said be the real deal. We would do different stories out of the Bible and God just moves. And I intentionally asked Matthew Slater every three weeks, will you come in, tell me, come in my office and say, Jack, it's not about you. Will you do that for me? Every three weeks. Hey, Jack, it's not about you. Hey, Jack, it's not about you. So so here's what I say to you. Hey, Fred. Hey, Bill. I know that we make all our decisions in our lives to try to make our society and our world think it's about us. But it's not about you. Paul says that pain has been introduced to our life so that you'll know it's not about you. And most of the problems that we have in our society, we view as a problem, because we think it's about us. You have know, I many people that I've met with in marital counseling that the cornerstone of the problem is not whatever the discussion is about where to go to vacation or somebody's in laws or Lord help us with in laws, amen. That's not the discussion. The discussion is that both people in the room think it's about you. And it's not about you. You know, the greatest thing that God could do to all of us to make us into glory reflectors instead of glory seekers is to remind us as often as possible that it's not about you. So when pain comes into our lives, the first thing that he says is it's been sent so that you won't be conceited. So that you won't think it's about you. I mean, if you want to make a difference in our culture today, you got to come to the end of yourself. Some of you probably haven't done that yet. If I can just be real. I spent most of my life before I was a believer... Walking in this room and saying what this room needed to hear. And walking in this room and saying what this room needed to hear. And walking in this room and drinking what they drink, And walking in this room and wearing what they wear. And then I found that in an effort to go in every room and do what everybody else was doing, I didn't know who I was. God is going to institute pain in your life. Primarily because he wants you to come to the end of yourself. Because the place you will cry out from with the most genuine voice is not from the top of the mountain. Last thing and we'll move to the next point. You ever seen the top of a mountain? Look up. There's no grass there though. the grass is in the valley the the top of the mountain is pretty to look at it's the goal of the journey but things grow in the valley so here's what i say to you man paul servant of god says i needed to be reminded and so god stuck a thorn in my flesh a stake to remind me, number one, to keep me from becoming conceited. You know why you come to church on Friday night to hear some redneck ball guy? Because you know it's not about you. I just want my life to please you, Lord. I want my life to be a thank you note back to you for what you did for me on Calvary's cross. It's not about me. That's the concession we need to make, man. If you want to be a good husband, you want to be a good father, you want to lead people, understand that the Lord is sending pain into your life. He's allowing pain to be in the corporate American life because he wants us to hit a knee and say, it's not about me. And that's a hard lesson from a place where pulpits around our country are continually saying, it's all about me.
1: Jesus and me, it's all about me, Jesus and me.
0: When Jesus says, Eloi, Eloi, my Sabathani, my my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then from the cross, he says, forgive them, Lord, for they know not what they do. Pain, friends, pain. It's not something that the Lord was absent from, but is very present in. He shouts to you in your pain. Number one, the Lord wants you to not be conceited. So he sent you pain. He's allowing you to experience pain right now. Because he says, I don't want you to be conceited. That's what Paul says right here. All right, secondly, look at verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should lead me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord, I, I love this word because this is a word used a lot of times in the gospel for people who he, are healing, that are looking for healing. Uh, blind Bartimaeus, when he cries out, Lord, 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 Son of David, Jesus, have mercy on me when he cries out. Um, I often read the Bible, and I know you guys probably do this too. Uh, you know, we've made the Bible into like a holy, stiff book. Right? Uh, like, a like, um, good example is... Uh, when, when the uh, disciples are in the boat and a storm comes up, right? And, and the phrase that, uh, that that the gospel writer uses is ununcredzo, which is labor pains, okay? And so we've made it to be like they're in the boat and here comes the storm and they're like, Jesus, like, it's raining. <laughs> and and that's not the way this went, okay? Understand, he's asleep in the boat and they went down, Jesus! If you don't get your butt
1: up, we're gonna die
0: because there's passion in it, right? So Paul says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord. It's interesting that pain causes us to plead from the Lord. So, number one, humility. Pain will cause you to be humble. Number two, pain will cause you to plead. From the Lord. Plead with the Lord. You ever gone to somebody about something and know they couldn't help you? I felt so bad last week. I was (laughs) walking around downtown Boston and I had spoken downtown to a different team. And uh, I was walking downtown and (laughs) I had two people stop me and ask me for directions. Well, we live in Foxborough, right? And so we're downtown Boston and so... Uh, you know what I'm saying. So so this lady comes up to me, and she runs up. Can, sir, can you tell me where Starbucks is? And I'm like, right over there. No problem. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I said, ma'am, I, I don't know. And then this other guy runs up to me, and he's asking me. He's like, he's late for the game. He's, I guess the Red Sox are playing. And so he's like, hey, hey. Can you tell me where the park? Y'all say park. I can't even say it right. I don't even know. I'm like, I'm trying to be like local, but I can't park, 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 park. I can't even say it right. Anyway, I say terrible words. So you can make fun of me all night. Here we go. Watch this. This is really sweet though. And I was told my wife, I said, if I was them, I wouldn't ask me for directions because I don't have anything to give them. but we ask things for directions all the time that don't have anything to give us. When you go to your 401k for purpose, it doesn't have anything to give you. When you go to your job for identity, it just doesn't last long enough. When you go for your status, you want your status to give you direction and power, it falls on its face. We go to things all the time to get directions, but yet they don't even know where they are themselves. You see, Paul says first, This is to make me keep me from being conceited. Then he says, This is actually sent to make you cry out. You know, in times of prosperity, thank you, Lord. Bless me, Lord. Help me, Lord. Boy, this is great, Lord. Praise the Lord, everybody. In times of pain.
1: I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one defense. Lord, my righteousness. Oh, God. How I need you. You're my one defense. Lord, my righteousness. Oh, God, how I need you. I'm on the side of the road. Don't have any gas. I got bills to pay. My family needs me. I just lost my job. And it wasn't my fault. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Hey. My one defense, Lord, my righteousness. Oh, God, how I need you. Pain makes us cry out to the Lord.
0: The pain that you're going through right now is meant to make you humble not about you it's also meant to make your prayers a little more intimate because the can you help me spare me loan me aladdin god is no good when you're on your knees like that cross engaged the disciples it even engaged a roman centurion check mark 15 out when you get a chance when you go home why did why did it why did it bother him so much? Jesus is on the cross and Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Into my hands I commit your spirit, my spirit. And this centurion who'd watch people die his whole existence, I mean, that's his job. He says, surely this must be the Son of God. Because there's something about the way you call out to God in your pain. So number one, your pain has been given to you so that you'll be humble because it's not about you. Number two, your pain has been given to you because you need to cry out to God. Because it draws you to the Lord. Three times I pleaded with the Lord. Now let's look at this. Look at the next part. Verse 9. But he said to me, and this is God speaking to Paul. By the way, <laughs> I always laugh about Paul. Paul. Paul's so humble. But Paul's got like some major street cred, okay? I mean, as an evangelist, I mean, this joker met Jesus like face to face in Damascus. Like, can you imagine like a deacon's meeting with Paul and Timothy and these guys are sitting around and they're like, hey, well, I think we should listen to this song. I think we should do this. And he's like, hey, did you see Jesus on Damascus? <laughs> I did. We're going to do this song. Amen. (laughs) That's funny right there. You can laugh later. But my point is Paul's got some major street cred because God speaks to him and he's caught up in the third heaven earlier in this, this same passage. But listen to what he says that God told him. Verse nine, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Number one. Your pain speaks to the fact that you need to be humble. Number two, your pain draws you to the Lord so you'll cry out. Number three, your pain allows for the display of God's grace. Holly and I, when we were first married, um, actually our anniversary is uh, this Sunday. Twelve years. Man, twelve years, man. Praise God. You ain't got to clap. You ain't got to clap. I'm some dirt God's been good to. I'm telling you. I'm in the married up club. I am in the married up club. Many of you are too. Okay? The righteous fox, that's who I'm married to. Cha ching, she's all that in a bucket of chicken. Okay? Blessed. But we're first married, we're in ministry, right? So you got nothing. Okay? I'm going to seminary, I'm studying God's word, I'm, I'm trying to, you know. So I'm like, hey, let's go out on a date for our anniversary. Okay. So where do we go? Roots Crisp. Hey, yeah. All the men said, you know. Okay. So we go to Roots Crisp because I had a gift card. <laughs> yeah. You like apples? How about them apples? So we go to Roots Crisp and uh, it was raining crazy that night. Raining. I mean, sideways rain. And I was working at the University of South Carolina and working with the basketball team and So we go into this Roos Chris. It's actually like connected with a hotel. We go in there. I'm like, baby, get whatever you want as long as it ain't over $100. Amen? Right? Because that's what the gift card was for, right? And I was thinking, tip. (laughs) Tip is, preachers don't tip. (laughs) I'm just kidding. We need a tip. So. So anyway, so we go in there. It's raining cats and dogs. And as it's raining, time comes to pay the bill. And I'm like, okay, got this gift card, get the bill, we're good. And I went like this no wallet. <laughs> All the men said, uh oh. <laughs> okay. So I went like this, and I'm thinking, man, it's raining cats and dogs. I'm like, man, the car's up in the garage. I'm like, man, Jack, what are you doing, man? So I'm thinking to myself, I got nothing. Like, well, I might have to go get my wallet, and I'm hoping it's in the car. So I walk out, and I was g would right? Because it's a date night, okay? g would up means sophistically dressed. So I walked, and I go into the car, and it's sideways rain. I'm soaking wet. I go in there. Guess what? No wallet. Y'all know the story. You tell the story before I'm telling it. Listen to you. They can tell it before I'm telling it. You you know these guys. So I come back. Now I'm soaking wet with no wallet. So I come back in, and I'm, I'm like, man. And my wife comes up with the biggest smile on her face. And I'm like, okay, uh, let her talk first. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) That's a great philosophy. Great philosophy. That's in First Hesitations, Chapter (laughs) 7. That's funny. So she says to me, Jack, you're not going to believe what just happened. And I'm got, got water dripping off my nose, and I'm like, "What, honey?" She said, "Coach Duckett, one of our basketball coaches at South Carolina, he just paid for our meal." One of our basketball coaches was also on a date night, and the other, he was in the corner booth. Didn't see him. Didn't know he was there. I'm soaking wet. Water's dripping off my. And now I gotta go tell him thank you. So when I walked over there to tell him thank you, I said, Can't give him a hug, because it's like, you know, you know. I always tell my girls at night, you know, take a shower so the fungus will not be among us. <laughs> so I, I got all kinds of stuff going. I'm like, I can't give him a hug. So I walk over there, his wife's name's Latita. I said, Coach, you have no idea. Thank you so much. He said, no problem. I said, no, 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 you don't understand. And I got ready to say, didn't have my wallet and go through the story, you know. And he said, Jack, I love you. Good night. So I walked back to the car all this. and, And I got in the car and I sat there and I said, what's it like when you know you can't pay? And somebody pays for you. And when you get ready to tell them that you understand, they say, I love you anyway. I thought to myself, Isn't this a picture of the grace of God? That we're trying to to figure out how to pay. And, and can, can I go to church? Can I quit cussing? Can I donate to something? Can I love my, can I, can I? And God says, your righteousness is like filthy rags. But my grace is sufficient for you. Just a little word and then we'll, Kind of get moving here. The word for grace written all throughout scripture, Greek word, charis. It's where we get our word charity, right? You're the, you're the charity God has donated to. You're a nonprofit that He's transferred a balance into. And it's more than enough. There's no swiping that you can inform the balance. There's there's no expense that the nonprofit executive director has not covered. You understand? So, pain allows you to understand, with water dripping off your nose, that grace is sufficient for you. Pain allows you to understand it is not you. And you will need to cry out from your knees. And then as you get up. And as you begin to operate. And you gave your absolute best. And it wasn't good enough. And your head begins to hang. And you're going to exit stage right. And God says. My grace. Is sufficient for you. God's grace is the separation agent in all religion. Because you understand that every other religion in some way works itself back to a performance system that earns God's favor. We don't do that. We say that favor is not fair. The fair comes in October. Get an elephant ear. God gave me what I didn't deserve. And he gave Jesus what he didn't deserve. So that I could have what Jesus deserved. And Jesus could have what I deserved. Pain is having you realize that God's grace will be sufficient for you. Because you didn't think you needed God's grace. Until you realized the gap. And you went to pay. We don't like pain. We like to have enough. And we like to walk in with our card and say, charge it to that. But isn't it embarrassing when he calls out in front of the whole restaurant and he says, this card is not valid. Do you have a different one? And then what do you do? You reach deep, right? And you grab another one. Yep. That one. Um, sir, (laughs) this one isn't valid
1: either. Jesus
0: just comes around and says, your money's no good here. My grace is sufficient. But you have to understand your own insufficiency before you appreciate the sufficiency of Christ. I want to say this. I know I need to move on. You understand what it's going to be like when you stand before God. When your lip is quivering and you're in awe of His majesty? Hey, Chris, what do you have to say for yourself?
1: Uh, 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 I'm, I'm, uh.
0: And Jesus comes in and says, He's with me.
1: Amen. I mean, I don't know, right, Chris? I mean, you stand there and you, you're... You, uh,
0: uh, see, what happened was, I was in Massachusetts and then I went to... MC, but, And he says, he's with me. What does your back do at that point? <laughs> I'm with him. <laughs> yeah. Because you know his grace is sufficient for you. But you have to have the trembling lip, the insufficient card... The gift card you can't find before you appreciate. And that's what pain is. Pain is the insufficient gift card that you thought was enough, but it won't cover the bill. God gives you pain so that you can be humbled. God gives you pain so that you can draw, he can draw you to the Lord, to your knees. God gives you pain so that he can display his grace. And lastly, God gives you pain so that he can reveal his power. You know, you you ever thought when God did something to you that you thought you knew what it was for? Like something happened to you, right? And so something happens and whatever it is, and you're like, oh, okay. I know why you did that. Like, that's because of this. Like, you play God for a minute. By the way... Worst bumper sticker ever. God is my co-pilot. Ever seen that bumper sticker? I always like want to drive up to people and go, scoot over and let him drive. I, I'm sorry. Randomtangent.com. <laughs> what you think that God has sent the pain for, or allowed the pain for in your life. It's not just for that. It's for something even deeper and different. Than you ever thought it was for. Give you a testimony and then we'll wrap up. I'm in Kansas City, Missouri. I'm in a Bible study. Security officer comes to the door. Says, hey. You gotta come downstairs. One of your players who's got a gun. I ran downstairs on the other side of a brand-new car. One of our players takes his life in front of me. Ran on the other side of the door. I held him in my arms. We had signs of life on the scene. Thought that it was... He was going to make it. He did The young man's name was Devon Belcher. Next week, we do a funeral for him. He had shot his girlfriend, do a funeral for his girlfriend. And I said, he had a three-month-old little girl named Zoe. And I said, you know what we're going to do? I think what God is doing here is showing us the power of what it means to be a Heavenly Father. So I want to create a foundation, a, a trust fund for Zoe. So my heart said, you know, this is what we're going to do. So I went to all the players and I began to get donations and started doing this thing. Raised $6 million in two days. Part of that was because of the clientele, right? So we put this trust fund together. She's got it. The chief's still it. It's awesome. Okay? She's six years old, seven years old now. I said, man, isn't this great how God shouts to the whole city of Kansas City through the pain? We did a funeral. I got to share the gospel with thousands of people. I was like, man. I said, man, the Lord really, in a painful moment, allowed me to have some ministry. And I said, man, this is is why God brought me here. This is why I'm in Kansas City, Missouri, because I was supposed to be here for this moment in this pain. December of that year, our whole staff got fired owner was a strong believer Clark Hunt come to me said hey you're going to stay on staff good I want to keep you here so I prayed about it okay good I get a phone call from Bill Belichick never talked to him in my life he leaves a voicemail introducing himself which I thought was that's was kind of crazy so I call him back He said, "Hey, we we just had a young man who was accused of double murder. We've never had a chaplain before. We've never had anything like this." He said, "Would you would you consider coming?" I said, "Sure." So I left Kansas City and I flew here, and I get here. God begins to do ministry. People begin to get saved. I go to the prison, meet with Aaron, and have a conversation with him. I get word three years later, whatever it is, that he's committed suicide. I'm standing in front of a team that has had a teammate commit suicide. And I thought to myself, this seems familiar. And I thought what God was doing in Kansas City was only for Kansas City. And then I stood in Foxborough, Massachusetts and realized that it was all about the power of God. All about the power of God. That the power of God was going to be revealed Through like circumstances. In different states. In different regions. In different people groups. In different people that didn't even know each other. And that it was going to be about the power of God. And that the first cover of the paper that was bad news. Would never be as loud. As the gospel of Jesus. Which is good news. And so I began to be. Blown away. And I hit my knees. I'll never forget it. That night we found out about Aaron. I said, Lord, your power has been made perfect in weakness. The weakness that God has shown you, the pain that you're going through, the challenge that you have going on in your life, listen to me. It's not just for what you think it is. It's for you to tell other people about it. It's for the testimony of ten years from now. It's for your children to learn from it. It's for your children's children to learn from it. It's for you to to break generational sin. And the power of God Himself will be revealed in that. Do you understand? The power of God will be revealed in weakness. And Moses stands to the burning bush and he says, God, I'm not a good speaker. I stutter. He says, take off your sandals. For the ground you stand on, sir, is holy. You go to the Pharaoh that I made and you tell him to let my people go. And one of the greatest stories in the Bible is birthed. Ultimately, to head to that last plague, right? Where there would be blood of the door, lambs, blood of the door. Where the people would be set free because of the lamb stuttering preacher before a bush that was not consumed with excuses of weakness. And God said, my power will be made perfect in weakness. Let me give you modern manhood. We'll get out of here. I want you to hear this, church. Modern manhood is not standing in front of your business and beating your chest and saying, look at me. I make money. My suit's got my name in it. Modern manhood is not telling others about how perfect your plans are. Modern manhood is not your followers on Twitter and your bank account. Modern manhood is humility. Modern manhood is crying out to the Father. Modern manhood is how God's power is on display. And it's made perfect in weakness. I just believe when I came down here tonight... That God wanted me to talk about pain. We can shout about victory, and we can claim healing, and God wants us to do both of those things. Don't get me wrong, but I really think what God wants is men that don't flinch when they see pain. That's what I think He wants from this church. I think He wants that from you. I think He wants you to say, "Hey, devil, I've seen you before. I'm not going anywhere because my my God is not shaken." That I have a sure and steadfast hope, an anchor whose power is made perfect in weakness. That's my prayer for you tonight. That's my prayer for you tonight, and I hope it's helped. You see the true characteristic of God, who pain is at the center of the story. Let's pray.
1: Lord, I need you, oh, I need you. Come on, man. Every hour I need you. My one defense, Lord, my righteousness. Oh, God, how I need you. to their feet. I need
0: Defenses, but they are good enough our one defense our righteousness oh God how we need you may, us, may it be our prayer that we leave here without anything else as our defense or our righteousness can heaven hear us
1: church come on church come on